بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد continuing with the hadith that we are learning from sahih al-bukhari from kitab al-iman the book on iman we had covered <coughs> hadith number 8 this was the last hadith we had covered in which we learned about the five branches of islam and uh, some of the related discussions so inshallah just to keep in mind this was the last hadith we are now going on to number 9 wa bi sanad al muttasil minna ila al imam al humam amir al mu'minin fi al hadith al hafiz al hujjah imam al bukhari rahimahullah qala haddathana abdullah ibn muhammad qala haddathana abu amir al aqadi qala haddathana sulaiman ibn bilal an abdullah ibn dinar عن ابي صالح عن ابي هريره رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال الايمان بضع وستون شعبه والحياء شعبه من الايمان so in this chapter imam bukhari rahmatullah alayhi is talking about umur al iman the different matters of faith and he is talking about different practices and different amal that are part of iman and one of the reasons there are many different reasons the commentators have mentioned why he is bringing these ahadith but one very simple one that does not require a lot of deep explanation is that he does not want to give uh, an opportunity for anyone to reach the wrong conclusion that there are only five actions based on their previous hadith that if a person has those five pillars then his there his iman is complete from all aspects there is nothing more that needs to be added so that is why uh, he is bringing different ahadith here about different practices that rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned those practices and he said that they are part of iman So iman is not limited to the five pillars there are many more things that go beyond that So in this hadith we see that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said an iman bid'an wa sittuna shu'aba that iman is uh, 60 plus more bid'an wa sittun bid'an is a number which is from 3 to 9 So it means 63 to 69 or more shu'abas branches and the different scholars have gone through uh, the books of uh, hadith as well as from the quranic ayat and gathered together all of those amal in which rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam has said min al iman this is from iman that is from iman and they have tried uh, to um, count all of them and they are mentioned in the commentaries under this hadith as well those are long lists uh, imam bihaqi rahmatullah alayhi he has collected so many ahadith about all of those branches and that is his very famous work shu'ab al-iman of ibn haqi so this number basically means that there are a lot of branches the number is not necessarily definite it is for kathra it means there are many many branches many different amal uh, that are there part of iman or there that will strengthen the iman increase the iman based on all the technical definitions of iman that we covered is iman just the tasdeeq or does our amal part of it or not there are all of those 
polemic, you know, those terminological differences. Uh, we have had enough discussion on those matters. So very simply put, whether they are inherently a part of Iman or there to strengthen the Iman, uh, either way, the point is the one and the same, that we need to work on all of these branches. And Haya is a great branch of Iman. This hadith is narrated by Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. Abdul Rahman ibn Sakhar, Ad-Dawsi, from the Qabila Dost. He accepted Islam right at the end of Rasulullah's life, last two years only. But even though he came so late, because of his dedication, he surpassed many of the early muhajirun and ansar with respect to his knowledge of hadith. He mentions that my Ansari brothers were busy with their orchards, taking care of their day trees, and my Muhajir brothers were busy with their businesses. But I was in the sufa, in the platform near Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's hujarat, his, his compartments where he would live with his wives, and I would be memorizing the hadith day and night. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala blessed him with photographic memory uh, through the dua of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And uh, Allah Ta'ala blessed him also with a long life and allowed him to remain in Medina where the students of knowledge would come and learn from him. There were other Sahaba who never, either did not have the opportunity to learn or they did not have the opportunity to teach. Either they passed away, became Shaheed earlier, or they ended up moving to such a place where students of knowledge would not flock to them. So they were not able to teach. Like Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhum, Anhuma Abu Hurairah says that he had more knowledge than me because he used to write down everything and I used to rely on my memory. However, uh, he moved to Egypt and that was right when Egypt was liberated by his father, Amr bin Asr, the conqueror of Egypt, and it was not a center of learning. It is quite ironic to say that because for centuries afterwards, Jamil al Azhar, in, uh, which um, Salahuddin Ayyubi, rahimullah, took it over from the, uh, the Shia who had established it and made it a Sunni madrasa after that. After Salahuddin Ayyubi, uh, then it was for a thousand years, uh, you know, uh, a great institute, almost a, a thousand years, a madrasa for several hundred years has been a madrasa of deen in, and a great institute of learning in, uh, in, in Egypt. But at that time, it was just a, a new territory. So Abdullah bin Amr bin did not have many students, so he could not transmit that many ahadith. Whereas Abu Hurairah stayed in Medina Munawwara and he had many, many students who learned ahadith from him until he became the top narrator of hadith. He narrates that Nabi said, Iman has 60 uh, odd number of branches. One hadith says, Alaha um, and Adnaha. He mentions two, the highest form is the shahada la ilaha illallah wa Muhammad rasulullah and adna the lowest form is imatatul adha an tariq removing that which is harmful from the path so the highest form is the, uh, the reality of the shahada having the yaqeen in the shahada that there is no one worthy worship besides allah and having that a sense of tawhid tawhid of the zat and sifat of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala embedded firmly in the heart and the lowest form is you're removing something harmful from the path, meaning you're not making the path, you're not uh, uh, doing a great act of helping people, 
But at least that which is harmful, you're removing it, which is something quite simple. Uh, that you see something that someone may slip on and you remove that. That's the lowest level. And then, uh, this is mentioned, Al-Hayya'u Shu'batun. Now the, ta the Tanween at the end of Shu'batun, this is known as Tanween of Ta'zim, meaning Shu'batun Azimatun. Hayya is a great Shu'ba. It is a great branch of Iman. So this has been pointed out specifically. There's 60 odd branches, but uh, Hayya has been pointed out now, if we still do not pay attention to Haya, then you know we have no one to blame but ourselves. Rasulullah is giving it so much emphasis by specifically mentioning it. Shu'batun Azimatun, a great branch. So there are different types of tanween that come: double dhamma or double fatha or double kasra, dhammatain, fathatain, kasratain. One of them is known as litaadim for greatness. Like Allah subhanahu wa taala says, Rijalun la tulhihim tijaratun. There are some great men. There are such men, some men. Rijalun, some men. But um, it means Rijalun Azimun. There are such great people. Allah is praising them. In Surah Al Nur, that neither trade nor merchandise makes them forget the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was regarding the Sahabi who was a blacksmith and he would heat up his stove and after heating up his stove then he would heat up the he would light the fire and create a big oven a furnace and get it burning and heat up the iron and when it would get soft then he would take his hammer and he would start beating the iron to make the swords and the shields it's a long process and then he had no other helper but when the adhan would call we called uh, he would not only just leave everything, but if he had the hammer uplifted on top of his shoulder and he is ready to strike it, raise it, strike, raise it, and strike it down. So when his hammer is above his shoulder and he would hear the beginning of the Adhan, Allahu Akbar, then instead of, okay, fine, one last shot, that will help uh, in forming that desired object of sword or shield, etc., he would just put it down on the side. Because he said, now the Munadi Allah, the call of Allah is called the Adhan. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised Rijalun, they are such great men. Neither trade nor merchandise beguiles them, makes them forget Allah and dhikrillah, the remembrance of Allah. From establishing salah and discharging zakah. They are afraid of such a day. They are afraid of that day in which the hearts and the eyeballs will be overturned in fear of such a horrific day. That's why they are so punctual. Allah will reward them for their beautiful actions in a beautiful manner. And giving them what they deserve. And then from his bounty, he will give them even way more beyond what they deserve. He will give them the jaza and then and mazid. The mazid is, waladayna mazid, Allah has additional. One is the blessings and the mazid is to see Allah. And to receive the ridwan min Allah. That's the mazid. Whoever Allah wills, he can grant without any measure. So that is an example of Tanween for ta'zim. So haya ushabatun doesn't mean it's just a branch. In haya, uh, 
is a part of it, it's translated here. But Shu'abatun actually means it's a very great branch. Some scholars say that the A'la and the Adna and the Haya. So A'la is Shahadu la ilaha illallah, that's the reality of Iman. And Adna is the minimum practice of Islam. And this Haya, if a person has a true Haya, this is Ihsan. How is it Ihsan? Because Ihsan is that you worship Allah as if He is seeing you. If you do not have the, cannot reach the realization that he is seeing you, that you can see Allah, then you know that he is seeing you. So what happens is that the reality of haya is that a person is always in this condition, the haya of shari. The shari haya is that a person is always cognizant of the fact that Allah is seeing me. So when is haya urfi? When is the haya in urf in uh, in society? So, what will the people in the society? What will the society say? What will the people say? So, you abstain from doing something because of uh, you are afraid of the comments of people, the remarks of people, the opinions of people. So, you avoid things which would embarrass you in front of them. What is that? Haya urfi. And haya shari is that. Uh, as it been very beautifully said in Arabic, Maulaka la yaraka haythu nahaka. So you are in such a condition that Maulaka, your master, your Lord Allah, la yaraka, he should not see you in such a condition, haythu nahaka, where you have disobeyed him. So you'll say that I'm embarrassed in front of my father or mother, I'm embarrassed in front of my superiors or in front of society, people, or parents may be embarrassed in front of their kids. Or you're embarrassed in front of someone who you want to uh, maintain that position of honor so, and uh, respect. So you do not want you know, to your honor to be, you don't want to become, uh, present yourself in a dishonorable manner. You want to maintain that honor. So that's haya urfi. And haya shari'i is that you're realizing that Allah is watching me at every moment. Imam Taifa Junaid al-Baghdadi rahimullah said that it is halatun, it is such a condition that comes over the insan when he reflects over two things, the ala Allah and his own ma'asi. When he looks on one side, the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon him, and he says that subhanAllah from head to toe, um, I am uh, drowning in the blessings of Allah and from morning till evening and from birth till death and I'm immersed in the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he looks on his sins, how he's disobeying Allah. Then that feeling that, uh, uh, that comes, overcomes the individual, uh, that is the essence of haya. So this, this is how haya is tied up with ihsan. Because the one who reaches the level of ihsan, he's always aware Allah is watching. And when he's aware Allah is watching, he does not want to disobey Allah in front of Allah. And where is he going to escape from Allah? There's no way to escape from Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't just say that, okay, I'm watching you. And that doesn't only say, I'm watching you very closely. He doesn't just ask that, uh, do you know that I'm watching you? But he asks, istifam inkari. It's interrogative, negative. So he says, alam ya'lam Allah yara. Does he not know that I am watching him? So do you not know that I'm watching you? How can you not know that? So it's a very, very strong statement from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah is watching us and we should be aware that 
we should never be in a state that we have to disobey him. That we are disobeying him. And we should never be in a position where we have to present ourselves in his court and he'll remind us of the way we disobeyed him. And see forgiveness when we have. Now there's a whole question about, there's one haya is haya aqli and haya shari'i and haya urfi, haya tabi'i. There's like different types of haya that scholars mention here. Haya aqli is that you want to abstain from something which logically is going to harm you. Haya urfi is, as I mentioned, you want to abstain from something which in the society is considered bad. Haya tabi'i is, it's not something that you uh, work hard on developing, it's your natural uh, shyness. That's tabi'i, natural shyness. And haya shari'i, the shari'i one is you abstain from disobeying Allah. Now when it comes to shari'i and aqli, the scholars say that um, the aql, if it is salim, if it is a sound intellect, then there should be no clash between that which is haya shari'i and haya aqli. And whenever there is an apparent clash where aqlan, you don't want to, you say that, oh, intellect, intellectually, I think I shouldn't do this, I feel shameful, embarrassed, but sharia is saying you must do it. That means that there's a problem with your intellect. And you're, either the aql is not salim or it's actually a misclassification. It's not even haya aqli at that point is haya urfi. Because the urf in the convention of the understanding of the people, that uh, is not necessarily sharia compliant. Rather, we should say majority of the time is not sharia compliant. So if somebody, let me just give an example because it's so theoretical at this point. Example, if someone says, oh, I feel shy to, a sister says, I feel shy to wear the hijab. So why are you not wearing the hijab? Because I feel shy. And, and shyness is what? Something desirable in the deen. And, uh, and to, be, to ha be shameless and to have no fear of, 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 I mean, no shame, no modesty. I'm feeling so modest, I'm feeling so shy that I, I, can't, I can't go out like this. So this is an example of uh, because the people around are not wearing a scarf and for you to wear a scarf you feel shy but actually this is a commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran right? so what will you do in this scenario you will abandon the haya urfi and you will go with the haya shari and say no I, if I go out I'm worried about what people are going to say if I'm wearing the hijab but if I don't wear the hijab I have to need to worry about what Allah is going to say and I have to be more concerned about what Allah is going to say versus what people are going to say. SubhanAllah. If somebody uh, is in a situation, you know, uh, maybe he's a uh, guest at someone's house and then, you know, he has to take a farad ghusl. So they say, oh, it's so embarrassing. I have to take a ghusl before fajr. No, but the thing is, if you're feeling embarrassed to take a ghusl, that's your, that's your hayat tabi'i, your natural hayat. But you have to literally go against your hayat tabi'i, because if you go ahead and you pray fajr just like that, he's, you know, the host says, come pray fajr with me, and you're praying fajr with him. You feel shy to tell the host that, oh, stop, I have to take a ghusl. Or what is he going to think? But the thing is, that, yeah, uh, that was a, a natural bodily function, the nocturnal emission, whatever the case may be. So... This is a, I'm giving an example of the clash. You have the Hayat Tabi'i clashing with Hayat Shari'i. 
So what are you supposed to say? Should you worry about what the host is going to think? Or should you worry about what Allah is going to say? So I cannot just continue fake pray. Praying uh, in a fake manner actually uh, is a, it's a very major sin. We may take it lightly. A less um, drastic example I may say it would be if a person is in a saf in the salah and uh, his wudu breaks. So then he feels shy that if I'm in the saf and I have to turn around and I have to walk out. Or maybe he... Rem Maybe nothing happened there in the stuff. He just recalled that he never had wudu to begin with. He's like, oh, I thought I had wudu and I came, but actually I had gone to the bathroom in between. Now he feels shy because if he turns around and walks out, everyone is going to say, oh, you know, what's wrong with this guy? So he says that, um, I'll make a full wudu and I'll pray a salah, but I'll do it afterwards, after this whole session is over. He continues praying. So he thinks that, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm going to end up praying. It's not like he's the imam. If he's an imam, then that's a very big problem. Because Rasulullah said, Al-imamu, dhaminun. The imam is responsible. So if his wudu breaks or he recalls for sure he did not have wudu, he really doesn't have much option. He has to not worry about what people are going to say. And he should think to himself that uh, some people may say whatever they want to say, but at least uh, some other people who have a little bit more, uh, more mature, they may be able to appreciate the fact that I take the responsibility of the salah um, so seriously that uh, without consideration of what people are going to say about me, I was um, honest enough to expose myself and tell everyone, hey, my wudu broke and we need to repeat the prayer. So hopefully they will uh, appreciate my sincerity and my uh, um, and the fact that I'm taking the salah so seriously so that may help calm his fears but the reality of actual since he said the word sincerity what is the actual sincerity is that all of the praise of the people and the blame of the people both of them are absolutely what inconsequential you don't even look at it so that's why the praise should not affect a person ideally like superhuman to reach that level ideally all the praise and all the blame has absolutely no bearing but rather what counts and only counts is to achieve the pleasure of Allah and avoid the displeasure of Allah may Allah allow us to reach that level but, so that's the imam but the, the muqtadi if he says okay let me just continue praying he thinks it's not a big deal I'm going to go back afterwards and make wudu but when he is in the saf pray, uh, fake praying without wudu that is considered a very major sin too so that is not permitted um it is considered like mocking of the prayer. So we should avoid that. So, so when it comes to haya aqli, the aql salim, the sound intellect, what it regards as good is, is uh, what the sharia regards as good, it regards as good. What the sharia regards as bad, it regards it as bad, as evil. And the urfi, what the people say, that, that fluctuates a lot. And the tabri is your natural shyness. So, if something wrong is happening and you have to speak out and prevent that, which is evil, you'll say, oh, I'm overcome by shyness, I can't speak. I'm a very modest, shy person. Uh, I'm not good at public speaking. So that's your haya tab'i coming into play. And the haya shari would be, no, I cannot tolerate that the disobedience is happening when I have a voice Allah has given me, when I have some level of authority in this setting that I can speak out against this evil, I must do so. That is Hayah Shabbatumil al Iman. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that Hayah. And we, of course, we are living in such a day, in such an age, 
when Ahiyah is completely is vanishing from the Ummah. And we need to speak more about it. And we need to uh, stay in the company of those who truly have Hayah. And if we cannot find those individuals who had Hayah at that level, read about their stories, read about their lives. May dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that oh Allah grant us the true Hayah so such that we abstain from your disobedience and practice it. And inshallah, teach our children teach the next generation haya through our own practice. May Allah make us among those who have haya. Um, another hadith of Rasulullah mentioned here, where Muslims and mu'mins are being defined and their different attributes are mentioned. Rasulullah said, this is Abdullah ibn Amr bil As I was referring to. Uh, Prophet said here, Al-Muslim, the true Muslim is the one uh, that other Muslims are safe from his tongue and it's from his hand. And the true Muhajir is the one who manhajara, is the one who makes hijrah from abandons manahallahu anhu, that which Allah has forbidden. I had mentioned this hadith before, how Rasulullah he takes the different words that have um, uh, meaning in the sharia, and he takes the root word and he defines those shari persons, individuals, those sifat in a beautiful manner. As you see here, al-Muslimu, he uses the word man salima. The salin la meem, the root word of Muslim. The true Muslim is the one other Muslims are safe from his tongue and his hand. Uh, this, that whole meaning and beauty of that was lost in this translation. Because here he just said a Muslim is the one who avoids harming Muslims with his tongue and hands. That's the... That's the Mm, that this is you know the translations are two types one is the mafhum the the meaning of it is um, translated and one is a literal word for word lovely tarjuma so that is over here we see yeah it's true a Muslim is the one who avoids harming Muslims but if you go and try to maintain the same syntax meaning the same structure of the sentence you will say al-Muslim or the true Muslim is which one? man is the one that other Muslims or all Muslims are safe from his tongue and his hand. So there's the word Salima. Actually, the fact, the way he translated it, it also can, is a reminder of that Rasulullah could have said it simply like this as well. He could have said a Muslim is the one who avoids harming. But instead of saying it that way, he said, Man Salima Musliman. Why? He wanted to show the link between Salima and Muslim. Uh, likewise, he said, Al-Mu'minu, the true mu'min is man aminahu nas ala dima'ihim wa mu'alim. The true mu'min is the one, uh, people, amina. They, are, they trust him with their lives. Dima' means their blood and their wealth. And he said, Al-Muhajiru man hajara. Here he did a good one. Muhajir is the one who gives up. So Muhajir man hajara, the Muhajir is, is, is the one who gives up. Hajara means to abandon, to leave. So Muhajir... We normally understand Muhajir is the one who leaves his homeland, his watan. But over here he's saying the true Muhajir is the one who leaves that which Allah has forbidden. 
And then the mujahid is the manjahada nafsahu fi ta'atillah. The mujahid is, the true mujahid is the one who does jihad against his nafs in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, the first one, true Muslim, so this is now giving us sifat of a Muslim, an attribute of a Muslim, is the one that Muslims are safe from his tongue and his hand. Why is the tongue mentioned first? Is because uh, in many cases, the injuries, the, the ache in the heart, the heartache that can be caused by the sharp words that come from the tongue, uh, the wounds may be deeper than that which can be inflicted by the hand. Subhanallah. That is why the, um, the Arabic poet, he says that جَرَاحَاتُ sinani لَهَلْ تِيَامُ وَلَا يَلْتَامُ مَا جَرَاحَ الْلِسَانُ جَرَاحَاتُ sinani The wounds inflicted uh, by the spears. لَهَلْ تِيَامُ Eventually, with time, they will, may heal. Jarahatu Sinani, the wounds inflicted by the spears, Lahal Tiyamu, over but the passage of time they may heal. Walayaltamu Majarahalisanu, but the wounds inflicted by the tongue may sometimes never heal. So that is why we have to be very careful how we use this tongue. Jirmuhu Sagir wa Jurumuhu Kabir. Its size is very small, but the uh, painful torment that it could take a person in two is very great. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anh that Is there any other thing which will be uh, dragging people and pushing them into the fire of Jahannam but the hasa'idu al-sinatihim that which is harvested from the tongue meaning the end result of what they had said. So other Muslims are safe from their, his tongue and his hand. So um, we are limiting this and we're saying only the meaning of exclusivity. The true Muslim is only the one who all Muslims are safe from his tongue and his hand. This is the correct meaning. There is a possibility that people can interpret this in an incorrect manner. And they will say that it, um, if a person, he, all Muslims are saved from his tongue and his hand and that's only what he does, then he is a true Muslim. This is a false interpretation. People say that the ibadat and all of the worship, that's all secondary. As long as everyone is safe from your tongue and everyone is safe from your hand and you are not hurting anybody, that means now you are a, a true Muslim. So the only thing you need to do is ensure that you are not hurting anyone. So they're taking the meaning of exclusivity and they're saying that exclusively, only this is required. That's all you need. You do not need anything else. This is one of the wrong explanations people are giving of this hadith. The actual correct meaning is that there are so many other things a person needs to do. What Rasulullah is saying here is that if you take the 
the true Muslim, the true Muslim has to do many things, but by, uh, by default, by definition, he must be amongst the things that he has to have is that he has to ensure that from his tongue and his hand, other Muslims are safe. So if he's a Muslim, for sure, other Muslims are safe from his tongue and his hand. But if other Muslims are safe from his tongue and hand, doesn't necessarily mean he's a Muslim. So it goes one way, not the other way. Again, I'll repeat that. If a person is a true Muslim, you should be sure that other Muslims are safe from his tongue and his hand. And if someone is very nice and kind, and all Muslims are safe from his tongue and his hand, does not necessarily mean that person is a true Muslim. A true Muslim, other Muslims must be safe from his tongue and his hand. Um, and then likewise, the muhajir, in, what is the reason Rasulullah said the true muhajir is the one who abandons that which Allah has forbidden? There are two occasions. This was mentioned before when the hijrah was in place. So at that time, if somebody made hijrah from Makkah al-Mukarramah to Madinah Munawwarah, the Nabi would remind him that don't you know, be self-congratulating, self-righteous, say, wow, I did the hijrah, that's it, I'm done, I'm guaranteed jannah. Reminding that muhajir, yes, mashallah, through the tawfiq of Allah, you were able to accomplish a great deed. However, the true muhajir is the one who abstains from the disobedience of Allah. Make sure you continue to abstain from the disobedience of Allah. Otherwise, even though you have left your wadlan, your homeland, you made this sacrifice, but if you're going to disobey Allah, here, in your new land that you have migrated to, you have migrated from Dar al-Harab to Dar al-Islam or from Dar al-Kufr to Dar al-Iman, but you are not giving up the disobedience of Allah, then your hijrah will be wasted. So this is when the hadith was mentioned at the time of hijrah. The second explanation is that the amal of hijrah took place and it was farad on the people of Makkah to migrate towards Madinah uh, Manawara. However, after the Fatha Makkah occurred, the conquest of Makkah in the eighth year of Hijrah, then Rasulullah said, La Hijrata Bad al Fathi. Now, after the Fatha Makkah, there is no further obligation of Hijrah. Because if you were living in Makkah, what you, were you commanded to do? Leave Makkah and come to Medina. But now Makkah is what? Also Islam. Muslim, uh, Islam part of the Islamic uh, Darul Islam, part of Darul Islam, part of the Islamic State. So you don't have to leave Makkah anymore. So, la hijrata ba'd al-fatih. There is no hijrah after the Fatih Makkah. So those who accepted Islam at that point, they, some of them were very sad. That, oh, we never got the opportunity to do hijrah. Our predecessors, they were muhajirun and they got that great honor. Well, how are we going to do hijrah? So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa consoled them. And he said, don't worry. Al-muhajir, the true muhajir, you can still be a true muhajir. Because the true muhajir is the one who does hijrah from the sins. And this form of hijrah is still remains. Likewise, the number three is wal uh, mujahidu. The true mujahid is the one jihad nafsahu who does jihad against his nafs. Rasulullah ﷺ was coming back from the campaign against the enemies. Then he said, we are returning min jihad al-azghar ila jihad al-akbar. From the minor jihad, we are coming back to the major jihad. So the major jihad is the jihad against the nafs. And um, some of the ayat that were revealed in Makkah, they're talking about jihad when there was no armed conflict. In fact, they were commanded 
to be patient. Fasbir sabran, jamila. Be patient over these trials you're facing, torture you're facing. Maximum response is la abudu ma ta'budun. You can say if you don't worship your gods, but you cannot fight back because they were the minority. But in that era as well, we have ayats like waladina jahadu fina. This is a Makki ayah. So this jihad is referring to the jihad against the nafs. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the reality of Islam and Iman and grant us the reality of hijrah and jihad fi sabirillah. In this hadith, it is mentioned, lastly, conclude, Hadithana Sa'id ibn Yahya bin Sa'id al-Qurashi qala hadithana Abi qala hadithana Abu Burda ibn Abdullah ibn Abi Burda an Abi Burda an Abi Musa radiyallahu anhu qal قالوا يا رسول الله أي الإسلام أفضل قال من سليم المسلمون من لساني ويدي النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم said who is the best Muslim he said the one who avoids harming the Muslims with his tongue and his hands so this has been mentioned as the best Muslim أفضل and there are so many different ways subtle ways without our realizing that we may be harming people with our tongue and our hand and this is one of the big uh, great أبواب of أخلاق and adab of how to deal with people in such a manner that we are not hurting them. Sometimes we are hurting them unintentionally. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from this grant us the reality of Islam and Iman. Wa akhir da'wan alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Jazakumullah. Subhanallah wa bihamdi subhanallah wa rahmatullahi 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 wa rahmatull